Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews chapter number one. Amen. Hebrews chapter one, getting back into our lesson. Amen. Thank you, Brother Vincent, tonight for being here. Brother Marcel, their first week of Bible school. And so thank you, Brother Vincent, for coming over and helping us out. Didn't drop off a lick. Amen. Great. We got great drummers in First Church. Amen. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the same time, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, whom being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and beholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Chapter 6 and verse number 19 and 20, Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. And I want to talk tonight and continue on with, on the book of Hebrews, the key to absolute victory. The key to absolute victory. Amen. And let's just stretch our hands to heaven and ask the Lord to bless us tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence that is in this place. And I pray that you would open our understanding, Lord, because we really just want to be more like you. We want to walk not only in dominion and authority that you've given, but we want to walk in nature and character just like you. And I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds tonight. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. The last few weeks we've been on this. We've been talking about a key to absolute victory. Look at somebody and say, I want absolute victory in my life. And we have talked about the importance of discerning where we are in our walk with God, understanding and knowing uh, that there are people in various stages of their walk with God. Uh, I have to say this because I, I, I want to be clear when I say these things that we have to be careful when we are making disciples that we don't rush them into to understanding they're not ready to comprehend yet. Does that make sense? We, in, in, in more of a literal way, Paul said it like this, you know, basically don't feed meat to a baby that's still drinking milk. On the other hand, let's not give milk to people who are supposed to be eating meat. And so there's a discernment there that, that is so important. And it's easy to get, if you would, uh, frustrated or even question things 
when you see someone that has been in this a while and they're not where you are and you say, well, it didn't take me that long. Well, that's you. Amen. If I'm going to err, I'm going to err on the side of grace. The only thing I want God to get upset with me about is saying, you had way too much mercy. Because I don't think that's possible for God to get angry over that. Amen. And so we, we have to be careful in, 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 our, in our growing that we grow with understanding and discernment that where people are in their walk with God. And I gave uh, two weeks, I talked about in, in great depth the importance of knowing the Hebrew church or the church, the church there in Hebrews that he writes to that is a, a Jewish people with great understanding of Scripture versus a what we would call a new convert or a new believer church. Amen. That, that was just coming into this with no background whatsoever. And they were, they were weaving in even some of, their, um, some of their pagan thoughts and ideologies into the church. And so Paul had to deal with them very differently. He dealt with them based on their understanding and their knowledge. But when Paul was writing to the Hebrews, um, it, it, it almost seems like a more scholarly uh, book. If you're a student of the Word of God, you can tell how drastically the difference is in the writings of Paul to the Philippians or the writing of Paul to the Galatians, the writing of Paul to the Corinthians, the writing of Paul even to Titus and Timothy. And when Paul would write Ephesus versus when he wrote the Hebrews, it was almost as if he went into his doctorate mode where he was going to speak very, very profound things that if he would have stood up in a church at Galatia, Ephesus, Philippi, Laodicea, Sardis, Philadelphia, anywhere else. If he would have stood up and said those things, he would have lost them just like that because they did not have the understanding to be able to process what he was saying. Now, what this does not do is give us a license to never want to grow in God, to say, well, ignorance is bliss, so I don't want to know anything more about God. Amen. Well, that's not how it works because he expects us to grow. He expects, expects us to develop and to mature. As a matter of fact, there is, um, and I don't want to get too, too sidetracked in it, but there is a, a, a doctrine that goes around, and they call it the progressive light doctrine or the light doctrine, which means that you're saved according to what knowledge of God you have, um, and which I think is about the dumbest doctrine that there is. But you'd be surprised that people that, that say they, you know, believe that or kind of hide they believe that. Uh, that there's three levels, you know, of, of there's the, the holy, the righteous, and the wicked. And I don't want to get off into that. But basically, it's the progressive light doctrine that says you, if you obey Jesus to what understanding you have, you're saved. Okay, if you're, if you're just a good Baptist, if you'll be the best Baptist you can, you're going to be saved. If you're a Methodist, you'll be the best Methodist you can, you're going to be saved. But if you're ever exposed to the truth of Acts 2.38 and all of this stuff, well, then you've got to obey it because once you've heard it and you reject it, then you'll be lost. To which I say, <laughs> how dumb is that? Because why would we ever send missionaries? Let people be saved by not believing the truth. Right? Why would you expose somebody to the truth knowing that more people will reject it than receive it, and then you would be responsible for basically sending them to hell. It's kind of a, kind of a dumb doctrine, isn't it? It's definitely not a biblical one. Amen. And so, uh, so Paul, 
Paul is not holding back with the Hebrews. He's reaching and he's saying, look, I know your understanding is here because we have had thousands of years of this coming from Moses to us today. And, and if you were a Hebrew, you had heard this. You know there's one God. You know all of these. You know the function of the priest, of the Arianic priesthood, which was Aaron, through the Levitical priesthood, was the, was, which was the Levites. And he even talks about Melchizedek. And uh, Melchizedek is, uh, uh, not to get too far in the weeds here, but this is important because Melchizedek was a priesthood established before Aaron and before the Levites. Amen. So the priestly function in the temple and the tabernacle that we read about, that is Aaron and that is the Levitical priesthood. Amen. Aaron being Moses' brother, the Levitical priesthood that was appointed the tribe of Levites that was appointed in the wilderness. Now, I'm trying not to go too deep into this, but this is what's so important because I've had uh, people get hung up on this one thing. And, and they will say, well, and, and, and it's usually, and it's well, not usually, it's always evol evolved around giving. They'll say, well, you know, I'll give 9% or I'll give 11%, but I'm not giving 10% because 10%, that's, that's, the mo that's the law of Moses. And we're not under the law, and that'd be a sin. I've literally had people say they would not pay tithe because that's, and I said, no, 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 no. We don't pay tithe to the order of the Melchizedek priesthood. We don't pay it to the order of the Arianic priesthood because the, tithe, the tithing, I'm not here to teach on tithing, but, but this is how powerful tithing is. Tithing was established before Moses had established it. God established the law of tithing before he even established what an Israelite was, before he even really established his covenant of who he was because he spoke to Abraham and Abraham found this priest by the name of Melchizedek who preached the one God who taught this thing that, Mo, that, that Abraham would finally follow into the monotheistic understanding of God because Abraham was a pagan. And the Bible said that, that Abraham established a tithing law to him that Abraham gave to him to Melchizedek that was a tenth of all that he had. Therefore, tithing, this is why Paul writes about Melchizedek in here to the Hebrew church is because he's saying, I know some of you are grumbling and saying, well, we don't need to give, we don't need to pay tithe to the Christian church because they're not under the priesthood of Aaron. They're not under the priesthood of the Levites. And so we're going to give our tithe, go back and give it to the Jewish church. We're going to give it back uh, into Judaism. And, and Paul said, no, that's not what you do. Or, or there was a whole group going, whoo, I like this Christian thing. We don't have to give anything. Yeah. And Paul said, no, that's not right because you know, you got to understand that our father Abraham established this covenant not with Aaron and not with the Levites, but established this covenant with Melchizedek. And so we, when we get, when we pay tithe, amen, we don't do it because that's what they did in the tabernacle. We don't do it because it's the law of Moses. We are paying into and honoring the covenant Abraham made long before there was an Israelite nation. Amen. That's why we see the blessing of Abraham come into our life when we give through the covenant of Abraham. Amen. How many's found your life to be blessed when you walk in order and in submission and covenant with the Lord? Amen. So as he writes to them, he, he is speaking to them. He is speaking to them in, in a lot of terms that in absolute terms that they would not understand as Gentiles, but as Hebrews, they understood this. 
So when Paul is writing to them, and this is kind of where I left off last week about the function of the high priest, that, that, that there had to be a sacrifice, amen? There had to be a sacrifice, and that sacrifice uh, to forgive sin was a lamb, amen? And we know that Jesus Christ was what? The lamb slain from the foundations of the world. That's basic elementary. That's one plus one. I mean, if, you, if you're going to learn to live for God, you got to get that right at the door. Amen. That Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. John the, John the Baptist stood waist deep in the river Jordan and said, Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world, pointing at Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus became the sacrifice, a propitiation for our sin. He died in our place. He stood in my stead. And he died for my sins. He had done nothing wrong. He paid the penalty that I owed. Amen. I know this is basic, but I'm going some. This is kind of where I left this off. This is what Calvary was all about. That Jesus Christ, who is God made manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is not a second deity. He's not the second person of the Godhead. There are no three persons. There's only one God. There's manifestations, but not persons. God's not schizophrenic. He does not have a multiple personality disorder. I tell people, I used to be schizophrenic, but we're all okay now. Amen. He's not, he's not, he's not, he's not schizophrenic. He doesn't, it's not three persons. I love teaching this. I love teaching people who are hungry for God and, and, and want to know more about the, the one God that we serve and how can we refute so, so hard and denounce the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity because, number one, the word Trinity is not even the Bible. Why believe something's not in the Bible? Three persons is not in the Bible. Why, why would I then want to believe something that you have termed something that's not in the Bible and defined it in a way that's not in the Bible? Amen. And so we understand there's one God. And that God was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ, or as Paul would say to the church at Hebrews, that Jesus Christ was the express image of the invisible God. So if you want to see God, you look at Jesus. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus, as the man, Christ Jesus, took my sins and your sins upon him, and he died so that we would not have to. He shed his blood so we did not have to spill our blood. He stood in our place. He died on the cross. Amen. He died so I could live. And now he lives so that I'll never die. Amen. And so it's important. Now, when we say he died, I always get a crack out at Easter time when you see Christians on there. This was the day that God rose from the dead. Uh, nope. Sorry. God can't die. If God could die, he wouldn't be God. One of the important characteristics of being God is you can't die. God didn't die. The manifestation, the body, that is Christ Jesus. He laid down his life, but God in him did not die. The flesh of Christ was not God. Does that make sense? 
the flesh of God, the flesh of, of Christ was not God. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. That's what Paul wrote in Colossians. Amen. Then, then later he would say uh, that he is the image of, of, of the invisible God, that all things were created by him, talking about Jesus. And there was not anything created that was made, both in heaven and earth, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. That's what Paul said, because Jesus is the manifestation of the one true God. Now, I'm going to get a little sidetracked, but I, I want to talk about the oneness for a little bit. Is that all right? Because people get confused and say, well, if Jesus is God, then who was Jesus praying to? Surely there's another. Well, this is confusing if you don't believe in a God, an all-powerful God. Now, if your mental construct of God is he can only do one thing at a time, then you, we're going to have a problem with this. Because if God could only be one place, well, then you're probably right. But that's not what the Bible says about my God. My Bible tells me that he feels all in all, that the heavens is his throne and the earth is his footstool. You cannot measure God, not in height, not in width, not in depth, not in weight. You can't, you can't even begin to fathom. Matter of fact, you can't even begin to, you can't even begin to measure him uh, by time because he feels all time. He feels all space. He is presently in this room, yet simultaneously, he is still six trillion years behind us and eight billion eons in front of us. And he's at every point in time, at the same time, with all power, without losing any dominion or sovereignty, he's God. It's hard for us to fathom that. But that's how big God is. You don't measure him in space or in weight you, you, the best way you can measure him would be time, but since he created time, he's beyond time. Oh, hallelujah. I want you to think right now while he's in this room, this almighty God that is in this room right now, he is still present in the burning bush with Moses. And he is present 10 trillion billion millennium beyond us right now. He is present and he sees it all at the same time. That's why when God says, I'm going to do something in your life and he speaks that to you, that's not because God's going to work it out so it'll happen because he's already done it in the future. He's just waiting on you to catch up to it. Let, let me say that again. If he said he's going to heal you, that doesn't mean that God is sitting up there with a calculator trying to figure this out. Amen. And got a chalkboard trying to design a way to make it happen. Amen. This is why Peter would say, by his stripes ye were healed. In other words, your future healing is past tense because no constraints are on God. If he said he would heal you today, amen, then you need to know that tomorrow your healing has already been worked out. We have to just catch up to where the moment is because we're the ones that's constrained by time, not God. Amen. It, it would be, so, so you'd say, well, who was God praying? Who was Jesus praying to? He was praying to God. His flesh was praying. Because he was both God and man. On his mother's side, he hungered. 
On his father's side, he said, I have meat that you know not of. On his mother's side, he cried, I thirst. On his father's side, he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. On his mother's side, he died. On his father's side, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember, his father is an eternal being. His mother was the earthly incubator for God to be born into this world through the manifestation of Christ. So when Christ prayed, he was submitting his flesh to the will of God because he still had his flesh. He had to battle temptation just like we do. He just never gave into it. That's the difference. So how could, you say, well, how could God be in Christ and still God be in the earth or, or be in the, in the heavens? Well, if, that's, if that trips you out, check this out. While God was in Christ, he was in the heavens. And while he was in the heavens, he was still in the earth. And when he was in the earth, he was in the air. And when he was in the air, he was even present in hell. And while he was there, he was still filling Venus, Mars, Neptune. He was over in different dimensions and different galaxies and everything because he didn't stop being God. If I were to take a bucket down, down to the ocean over here and I'd dip that bucket in, I'd fill it up with water. I could walk it back in here and say, in this bucket, this bucket is filled with the Pacific Ocean. And I'd be telling the truth, right? I would have a bucket filled with the Pacific Ocean. Not the specific, but the Pacific. <laughs> amen. So when I have the Pacific Ocean in that bucket, amen, Brother Roberto, I have in that bucket the Pacific Ocean. But I would be a fool to try to convince you that I had all of the Pacific Ocean in the bucket. I just have all of the ocean that that bucket can handle. Jesus, the man, contained all that a human could contain of the presence of God. The Bible says we have but a measure, but Jesus Christ had the fullness Hallelujah. In other words, I may have a bucket of water, but there's still plenty of more out there. While there was God in Christ, there was still God in the world and God in the universe and God in the heavens. And when Jesus died on that cross, the man died, not God. Amen. And when God raised up Christ, don't get confused by that. The same spirit in Christ is God. And it resurrected the manifestation, the body of Christ. Does this make sense? And the Holy Ghost is still God. It's not, just, it's, it's not a you know, third removed cousin of God. It's not little God. It's still God. His presence in a defined way. God can divine his presence. He can put his presence in any manifestation he wants to. He, he did it as a pillar of fire. He did it as a cloud by day. Hallelujah. Right? Amen. He sure did. God, and, and here's the thing. God can do anything he wants to do. You want to know why? He's God. He's God. He works in ways we can't imagine. 
So in case you just, you know, think about that and you say, well, yeah, you know, I have this friend that believes in the triune or the trinity. And you know, could they got me on this one that Jesus prayed to the Father. And I could, well, yeah, the body did. The flesh did. When, when Jesus got hungry, did God get hungry? No, God don't get hungry. When Jesus got sleepy, did God get sleepy? No, God don't. The Bible says, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So it was the body of Christ, the flesh that we have right now, that Jesus Christ laid down upon the cross and paid the price for our sin. Now this is important because the Jews understand this. They understand that for sin to be forgiven, there must be blood sacrifice. I'm so glad that we don't do blood sacrifices anymore. I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't think I'd accept a call to ministry if we had to be, you know, cutting the throats of all these animals and worshiping. I'm just, I mean, I like my meat rare, but, you know, at least knock the fuzz off of it first. And so the Jews understood this. And so Jesus is writing to them, getting this understanding. You getting anything out of this? Given this understanding, okay, now Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. They got that. Beautiful. Now he's fixing to take a little bit further. Because like I said in the previous two weeks, this is where most of us stop. We stop at that, that Jesus died. That Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. That Jesus rose from the grave. And I left you with this. I left you with this. That he was now telling the Hebrew people that the manifestation of Jesus did not stop there. Because the Bible said when he rose from the grave, oh, and I love that story. I, I think we should preach more about that than just at Easter, you know. You know, an angel kicks the stone out of the way. Mary and Martha are running to the tomb. They see an angel kind of sitting up there cross-legged saying, why seek you the living among the dead? He's not here. He's where he said he would be. He said what he, what he said he would do. And then we see Jesus appear later, and he says, all power is given to me both in heaven and in earth. Matter of fact, they wanted to touch him at one point. And Jesus said, don't touch me. Why did he say that? He's going to finish it. He said, because I've not yet been glorified. I have not went unto my Father. So now... This manifestation is caught between two worlds. It's caught between where we are now and where we're going to be after the rapture. Hallelujah. Because you're going to have a body after the rapture that doesn't get hungry. That doesn't get sick. That doesn't get too skinny and doesn't get too fat. It doesn't need to sleep. Amen. It's a really cool thing. That, you know, you've heard me talk about John 14, you know. I grew up, you know, they said, we're going to get all these mansions. And our Sunday school teacher would say, when you got the Holy Ghost. And, you know, she was just trying to make it cute for little kids. We said, when you, got, when you get the Holy Ghost, there's an angel that takes your name and he writes it up over the mansion. And, and you walk in and that mansion's yours. And we were like, what does it look like? Well, it looks like the house that you've always dreamed of. And I'm thinking, Man, it's got a baseball field in the backyard. Man, that's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I was imagining, you know, a, a triple loop-de-loop-de -loop water slide into the bathtub. 
I mean, all these kind of things. I mean, back then, the 72-inch t- you know, TV was about the biggest. It had a backside on it like that, you know. And I'm thinking, man, I can watch all the wrestling I want to watch. It, Man, it's going to be the coolest thing to go to heaven. I'm going to love this deer hunting all day because there is no night. Man, this is going to be cool. Then, then I found out that that's not actually what Jesus meant. Because why am I going to need a bed if I ain't ever going to sleep? Right? Why am I going to need an eight-bathroom mansion because I'm not eating? And you figure the rest out. But that mansion that he was talking about was not a building, but it was a dwelling place. A spirit, the little definition is a spirit, in my father's house are many dwelling, spiritual abodes that where I am you may be also. Not, see this is, man I'm telling you, we, we sing things that sound good, amen, but leave it to a good song to ruin biblical theology. I mean, Dottie Rambo used to say, I love this song. I still pull up my guitar and sing it to this day. Just build my mansion next door to Jesus. Man, I love that song. It ain't biblical. We always thought Jesus is up in heaven, Bill. They would say things like this. My Lord, if God could create the earth in in six days, and this is what the earth looks like. He's been up there 2,000 years creating heaven. How beautiful heaven's going to be. Man, we shout about it. It's awesome. It ain't really in the Bible, though. He's not up there with a carpenter's belt on and a 16-penny nail between his teeth. He's not doing that. Jesus wasn't even talking about heaven when he said that in John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. If this were not true, I would have told you. That's not what he said. That's not what he's talking about heaven in the afterlife. He said that where I am, you may be also. That where I am right now, I'm going to afford unto you the same opportunity that I have. That if you will follow me, that if you will follow the plan of salvation, if you'll repent of your sins, be baptized in my name, be filled with the Holy Ghost, if you'll walk uprightly and circumspectly and follow a life of holiness, seeking after the Lord. What he said was that where I am in relationship to the Father, there you may be also. If I have power over demons, you're going to have power over demons. If I can lay hands on the sick and they recover, you'll be able to lay hands on the sick and recover. If I pray and God answers, you'll pray and God will answer. That's what he meant. But we have a hard time believing that because we're stuck at the him dying part. There's more to it than that. I'm not going to keep qualifying like I did last week. That, that I, people, would you, well, Pastor said Calvary isn't important anymore. That's not what I said. I said, at some point, you need to move on. That's what he said in Hebrews 6. At some point, you've got to move on. So, so we understand, like the Hebrews, he finished, he completed that portion of his ministry. He completed that portion that he died for our sins. He resurrected. He walked on the earth for about 40 days, 50 days. He walked on the earth working miracles, proving that he was alive by working miracles and teaching. And then he ascended in Acts chapter 1 into the heavens. And they stood there freaking out, looking at, and, and the angel had to appear and say, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into the heavens? 
This same Jesus that you have seen taken away, so shall return in like manner. Meaning he was lifted up on a cloud and my Bible tells me he's gonna descend through the clouds at the rapture. Amen. And when he went to heaven, he didn't go to heaven and sip on vanilla lemonade and start eating Krispy Kreme donuts, which is not a really bad idea. Lord, I don't know if you've tried those or not. You may have to work on them new bodies because if there's crispy heaven, I'm going to test the limits on not getting fat up there. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. That new body better not get fat because I know Sister Lupe's going to heaven and she's going to be making them enchiladas. And... Hallelujah. You, you, you'll know I'm up there when you, when you hear me going, ay, 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 coming through there eating me some enchiladas that Sister Lupe made. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, and, and Sister Patricia's, it's a chorizo, a chorizo and, and homemade tortillas. Oh, my Lord. Hallelujah. Y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. I feel the glory of the Lord descending into this place right now. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and so, so when you get to heaven, so, so Jesus is there now, and he's in the earth. He's there now, and he's in the earth. How? Because he's God. This is why he told his mom, don't touch me. I've not yet been glorified. I'm stuck between two worlds. I'm stuck between where I was, which you are, and where I'm going, which is where you're going to go. But when I return to the Father, when I return back into the heaven, when I return seated at the right hand of the glory of God, when I go back, now listen, let me clear this up, because I don't want you thinking God's sitting on a, that Jesus is sitting on a throne beside God. That's not what that means. Anybody that tells you Jesus is sitting on a throne to the right hand of the God is one of three things. One, they don't know Scripture. Two, they know Scripture, but they refuse to believe it. Or three, they're just a doctrinal dingbat. Because John made it very clear in the book of Revelations. He said, I looked into the heavens, and I saw a throne, one throne, and he that sat upon it. Didn't say there was three thrones or two thrones. The Bible said in our text that he's seated at the right hand of the glory of God, which means the power of God. So Jesus did not just ascend to heaven to sit in a fancy chair and sip on sweet tea and watch everything going on down on the earth. My Bible tells me he's active in ministry right now. This is what we talked about. I want to drive this home. That he is up there. The Bible said he is putting blood upon the everlasting mercy seat. He is interceding for us. You better know I pray for you, but me praying for you ain't nothing compared to Jesus interceding for you. He's up in heaven performing a function right now. That is far beyond what he did on the cross. See, he shed his blood to purge your sins on the cross, but he is in glory right now to sprinkle your hearts right now with his blood and send down the power of God into our hearts that will protect us in this Christian life from ever being defeated. 
And the book of Hebrews is written to a church people that were in precisely the same spiritual state as most Christians are today. They knew about the cross and what Jesus did on the earth to make them free from their sin. Amen. And, and, and now that uh, they know about his life and the death and the resurrection. And look at what they were experiencing. Look at what the writer had to talk them about, talk to them about, giving an indication of their struggle. When you read Hebrews chapter 2, and I'm going to go through these scriptures, you can see that Paul is writing to their struggle. He's not writing about something they don't understand. He is writing to their struggle. Uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Verse number 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto them, uh, unto us by them that heard him. Hebrews 3 and 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any, uh, be any of you of an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Amen. Talking about backsliding and walking away from God. He knew their struggle. Verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching see they were dealing with some of the same things we deal with today Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 but we are not of them who draw back into perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul in other words we believe that Jesus is God we believe he came in the flesh we believe he died on the cross to bring both God and man together. We believe he ascended to the throne and this fourth part is, is one of the most awesome parts of all that he is there right now in heaven functioning to provide us with the power from God uh, to put the, his power in his kingdom in our hearts uh, and on the earth today to give us the power and the authority to walk in victory. God has a kingdom. And we are in that kingdom. The purpose of the Holy Ghost is to bring the power of that kingdom right now into our hearts. I, I may mess with your theology a little bit, but the Holy Ghost was not given to you so you could speak with funny words. The Holy Ghost was not given us so we could talk in tongues. That was not the purpose of the Holy Ghost. The purpose of the Holy Ghost was given to us that we might have the power of the kingdom of God in our lives today. Imagine the kingdom of heaven being brought down into our own hearts on earth. Let me say that again. Imagine the power of God, the kingdom of God in heaven being brought down to earth in our hearts. Because if you get this, you'll have, a, you'll have the key to absolute victory. Because Satan cannot withstand a child of God that knows that they are filled with the power and the authority of God. The Holy Ghost is more than a goosebump machine. The Holy Ghost is more than a tingling on the back of your neck. But the Holy Ghost is the power of God at work in our lives. Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8 but you shall receive but you shall receive but you shall receive after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you've got the Holy Ghost, child of God, you've got the power of God at work in your life. 
Oh, somebody shout to the Lord and give him thanks. Amen. I'm, I, I feel like preaching just a little bit. Amen. If you understand the power of the Holy Ghost in your life, Satan can't stand before you. He was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of the kingdom of heaven before. And if the kingdom of heaven is in you through the Holy Ghost, he'll be cast out of your life again. He does not have the power to stand before the authority of God. You are a blood-washed, Holy ghost filled child of God quit acting like you don't have power quit acting like you don't have authority if you want absolute victory you need to rise up and take it hallelujah hallelujah oh I feel the Holy Ghost right now when this kingdom in all its glory is able to pour forth into your heart, Satan will not be able to stand being near you, much less trying to stand against you. If you ever get the revelation of what you have on the inside of you, that it is the power of God. If you only understood the authority that his name being written upon your forehead is, if you understood the protection of being washed in his blood, through the waters of baptism. You talk about casting out devils, honey. All you gotta do is walk into a room and they'll run because you've got the authority of God in you. Somebody shout amen. The same kingdom power of God Almighty that threw Satan down from heaven in Isaiah that saw him fall like a bolt of lightning will throw him around everywhere in the earth in which you work for God. If it is downpouring, amen, if hell is coming against you, if the enemy of your soul is fighting against you, all you've got to do is use the authority that you've already been given. You don't got to pray for the power. You you don't got to fast for the power. You don't got to dance for the power. You don't got to shout for the power. You don't got to run for the power. You don't even got to believe for the power. If you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the power. My God, I feel like shouting tonight. I'm tired of the enemy of our soul blinding us to this revelation like we're some poor, pitiful, cotton-picking, backwoods, jelly-spined, weak-in-the-knees believer. I'm a child of God. I've got the authority of God in my life. Come on, go ahead and shout to him right now. Just by understanding the message of Hebrews, you can experience this. But it's going to be something beyond the norm of thinking we need to learn something in our heads as much as understanding and revealing the truth that is already in our life. You need to actually hear God speak into your very heart. Did you know that your Bible is the word of God? Did you know your Bible is the word of God? You want God to speak to you, but you don't ever crack it open? 
You want God to speak to you, give you direction, but you never read it? I'm telling you, you've got the authority of God in you and you've got his words at your fingertips. You need to get recreated or reconnected with the word of God. Amen, because the word of God is a nail in a sure place. Heaven and earth shall pass away. He said, but my word shall never pass away. You can't stand on anything else, but you can stand on God's word. The Constitution one day will fail. Banks will fail. 401Ks will fail. Marriage licenses will fail. But God's word shall never fail. Somebody hold your Bible up right now. Hold your Bible up right now. That's God's word. Written by man's hands, read by man's eyes, but invisible power transmitted when you read it and you believe it. You want to hear God's voice? Read the word. No, you're not going to hear any new doctrines. You're going to hear the doctrine that's already been preached. The written, the written word has established that already. But the written word is full of instructions, especially in Hebrews, for you to be able to directly hear God speaking into your heart. No wonder the enemy fills your mind up with everything else but the word. I said, no wonder the enemy comes up with algorithm, algorithms on social media. Keep your mind occupied. He doesn't want you in the word. Now listen, we dance and we shout and we're going to be doing a lot of that. We're never going to stop that. But the devil's not afraid of you dancing. And the devil could give a flying rip if you do a backflip up here while talking in tongues. He could care less if you could cry a swimming pool full of tears. But what the devil doesn't want you to get a hold of is a revelation of the power of the Holy Ghost and then walk in the authority of God's word. Because when Jesus withstood Satan, Jesus didn't say, let me pray a little bit and talk in tongues. Jesus didn't say, let me run laps around this cactus out here in the desert. Here's what Jesus said. It is written. And he whooped his hide just by quoting the book. We're not going to beat the devil by mental ascent. We're not going to get victory by listening to enough podcasts and preachers on the internet. You're going to defeat the devil when you got a revelation of God's power in you and you connect to his word. Hallelujah. It, it's not a set of memorized truths God wants to put into you so that you have victory. That's not what we're talking about. It's a relationship with God through his word. It's getting into the place in which you are intimate in fellowship with God. You know God's voice. You know the moving of his spirit. I read that in your text. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 1 through 3, and I'm not going to read it again. Notice that, that the son is appointed heir of all things in verse 2. Notice he's appointed heir of all things. In other words, everything is going to wind up for him at the end. 
did, did you get that? Everything's going to end up being for him in the end. Amen. Uh, but he is also, but he is also related to the beginning. Amen. By, by the Son of God made everything in the beginning. We understand that. We also understand John chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life. And the life was the light of men. Verse 14. And the Word dwelt among us. Amen. So Jesus is the beginning and Jesus is the end. Jesus is the beginning and Jesus is the end. John the Revelator recorded the words of Jesus to say this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, which was, which is, which is to come, the Almighty. We sang that beautiful song Sunday, Jesus at the center. But he's not just at the center. He's at the beginning and he's at the end. Hebrews 1.3 says being, speaking of, of right now in heaven, right now in between the beginning and the end. Talking about right now where we are in the middle. We're not in the beginning. We're not in the end. We're in the middle. We're in the right now. The Bible tells us he is the brightness of his glory. We can only know about the sun that it is the center of our solar system by the light that it sends forth to us. That light is like Jesus. He shines forth all that you can ever know about God's word and about God. He is the word of God. He is the manifestation and the expression of God. You will never know God any other way than through Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Some of y'all get too scared to quote this next part, but if you understand the oneness of God, you'll quote the next part. Amen, with a lot of fervor. No man comes unto the Father except through me. In other words, if you ever want to know who God is, you're going to know him through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm almost done. In verse 3 says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Everybody say the word of his power. He started it all and ends it all and is upholding everything between the beginning and the end right now. He's upholding the beginning and he's upholding the end. He upholds it all right now. In order for you to get this awareness and the truth of power that will make your struggle, amen, go beneath your feet and give you victory. Just as Jesus is the beginning and the end upholding everything in between he must personally become your beginning and he must become your end and he must become your everything in between then and only then will you stop thinking you cannot know the deep things of God God wants you to know them if it's in his word you can know it you can know it I'm challenging you don't just stop at the cross don't just stop at the cross. Go on. There's more to know about God. There's more revelation about God. 
Amen. Only then will you get the key. 